Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. How's it going? This week, Japanese horror. We've talked about a couple Japanese horror movies on the show in the past. We talked about Audition back on our first ever episode. And we talked about One Cut of the Dead from just a couple years ago on, I don't remember which episode that was. Most people, when they think of Japanese horror, probably think of a very uh, specific wave of Japanese horror movies from the late 90s, uh, early aughts, um, typified by movies like The Ring or Ringu, The Grudge, Dark Water, stuff like that, kind of spawned a whole wave uh, and a booming little mini genre industry known uh, at the time generally as uh, J-horror. We're actually going to be working around that whole era this week. We've got a much older Japanese horror movie, and we've got a more recent one, um, a later anyway, and that is uh, nothing at all like those typical uh, quote-unquote J-horror movies. So, uh, Kevin, let's start with you. What do you got for us? So I dipped back into the Patreon pool once again. It's the one that you and I, Trent, had from a listener request from Justin. And we did it, uh, it was a little while ago now, but it's one that I don't believe either of us has seen at the time and definitely never would have come across if not for a listener request. So thank you for that. I'm excited to talk about this with all four personalities on the show. And I believe on the Patreon episode I said, I'm really glad that I saw this movie, but I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again. So, of course, when Dave and I started going through Japanese horror, I was like, you know what, like, um, I was digging through kind of the wave you were talking about. I'd already picked Audition, which is one of my favorites. And Dave was like, I keep hearing about this, like, cult classic film, you know, house. And I was like, fuck it. That'll be my pick. It's going to offset Dave's pick, like, perfectly. I was watching a bunch of the early aughts Japanese, the J-horror wave. They were not they were not nearly as good as I had remembered them being at the time. I was actually quite bored with a number of them. Um, just hot take, The Original Ring, one of the most boring movies I've ever watched in my entire life. Damn. So, So this is from 1977, and essentially you have Nobuhiko Obayashi as the director. He passed away in April 2020, but this dude was making films all the way up through 2019. Ridiculous filmography, all kinds of hilarious commercial credits, doing like cologne commercials with Kirk Douglas and like coffee commercials with Charles Bronson. And he sort of dipped his toe in with Toho. So we talked about Toho recently, the legendary Japanese studio that brought us Godzilla and, and a number of classic Japanese films. And they wanted what they quoted as a Japanese Jaws. Now, the four of us having watched this movie, I'm sure are thinking, how the hell would you classify this as Japanese Jaws? But you have, you have a young girl, gorgeous. She's getting out of school. They're going on a summer trip. And her dad has just dropped on her that he is recently remarried. She is not happy about this. Her mother had passed away some time ago. And it is discovered that she has an aunt, her mother's sister, who is living alone in this secluded old house, um, kind of like at the top of a mountain in this secluded village. And she ends up convincing a bunch of her fellow students, instead of their class trip, to go on this trip to stay with her and her aunt and sort of get some of the, I guess, Japanese countryside. When they get to the house, all kinds of funky things start happening. There's something not right with Auntie. There's something not right with the house. And then you start getting into the family history. It is one of the most bonkers movies ever. I know that Dave's going to describe this movie as drugs because that's what it feels like when you're watching it. 
I really, I really, really enjoyed this a second time. So, Justin, I was wrong when I said I would never rewatch this because, you know, I think I said in order to be a proper cinephile, you have to see this movie once. Uh, it's totally worth multiple watches, and I actually liked it a lot more this time. Cat, I cannot wait for your take on House. Mm. Uh, honestly, I love this movie. <laughs> I thought wow. I think it's so fun. I watched it drunkenly with Trent the first time that I saw it, and I didn't. Re- yeah, I kind of remembered it because I had had some beverages, but. Upon my second watch, I loved it even more. It's a very whimsical horror movie. Uh, lots of like ethereal flute music and so just beautiful shots of like the countryside and yada yada yada. But the story itself, I thought, was very interesting. I love me a bitter old woman. Um, <laughs> the writing itself, you know, not great. You know, maybe name the characters instead of. You, you know, just calling them whatever trait that they have. Um, but I thought all the girls were fun to watch. They had great chemistry um, acting off of one another. And it was really fun watching them get picked off one by one uh, by possessed household items. So I liked that. Uh, but I hope to one day be a spooky ghost aunt with a creepy, fluffy murder cat as well. So 10 out of 10 for house. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, I actually liked that they were all named uh, adjectives because uh, it was like the seven dwarfs. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when it, when it first started, I I had read about this movie as being a classic uh, must see, but I didn't really read much about the plot, and I had no idea what type of movie it was. Um, so when it opened, it reminded me of like kind of like late 90s early 2000s like psychedelic dramas like from uh, America you know like um uh virgin suicides mm-hmm. or like heavenly creatures or something um peter jackson it also reminded me a little bit of uh i don't know if anyone's seen picnic at hanging rock Mm-mm. it's a it's a 70s uh like thriller horror movie um but it has the like the schoolgirl vibes in it and the the bond between the the characters. And then as soon as they leave that school, it goes into like like a slapstick travel montage that's edited in the style uh reminiscent of the the Beatles like help <laughs> or, or like yellow submarine <laughs> on some of the the animation reminded me some of it reminded me of yellow submarine. Mm-hmm. A lot of the effects would be uh, a flash of an anim- animated version of what was happening over, you know, the actual body. It was very like uh, early '80s, like music video effects. I felt like it was pretty ahead of its time, coming out in like 1977. Um, the the soundtrack was insane. Kevin, I'm surprised, or maybe you're you're gonna say it, but the Black Parade. Yeah. That her her, chemical her piano thing that she's playing when she first sits down at the piano, is that what you're oh talking my about? God. Yeah, yeah. Did they sample that? No, it, or did no, they just it, copy it? I I literally have. I think I'm. I don't know if I talked about it in the, in the in the Patreon episode, but I literally wrote that down. Like when she sits down and starts playing the piano, I was like, dude, that's the Black Parade. 
That's why I yeah, liked it so much. Com- oh my God. It's a theme that comes back many times. And uh, Caitlin actually noticed it because that, that's like the only My Chemical Romance song I know. <laughs> so I was like, oh, cool. It's like, do you the, love the, that the, song, though? I do. Mm. I do. I don't, I, I wouldn't have gone double time with it, but that's, that's me. Um, <laughs> my favorite character in this was the watermelon, the watermelon salesman. <laughs> that was a, some real slapstick um, stuff. But, you know, I had said before um, that I didn't, Japanese horror was maybe one of my least favorite genres. I've talked to you guys about that. And, I think it's because it is so extreme. Uh, even even the the ones that are a little bit more like drama or like traditional horror, they're still like very extreme and like the act is acting is like super uh, like yin and yang <laughs> because you'll have the characters that play it straight and they're like totally deadpan the whole time, and then the people that are just like ah like so out of their mind. <laughs> And and the editing is super fast. Like the editing is like crazy and these crazy effects. So it's like it's not that it's my least favorite. It's that you have to be ready for it because mm-hmm. it's an assault on your senses. <laughs> it's very, very intense and it's it's a different pace. Uh often we talk about the IFC movies, the A two four movies that kind of slow you down and make you get into a slower pace. Um a lot of the movies from uh, like that we talked about this week, especially make you go at a way fast hyper pace and they're like speed. So uh, I really liked house. Um, I only watched it once, but I plan on revisiting this again, if not just for some editing tips. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at the reception. Um, I have seen House now a few times. I hadn't heard of it either um, until it was recommended to us. Thank you, Justin. Um, I kind of thought, Kevin, I thought you were walking into a, a bit of a buzzsaw this week with this one. I was like... Really? I, yeah, I was like, Cat and Dave are not going to like this movie. Um, I like House. I think that it, it peaks for me on second viewing. Like the first time, I mean, I have no idea what's going on in this movie. It's so crazy. And I, I liked the um, the Seven Dwarves names because... At least there's like something I could understand, you know. It's gorgeous and prof, like you know, like you said, Cat. They're all just like named right, after a go, trait. We should go through the names. Uh, there's gorgeous kung fu. There's gorgeous um, fantasy. Mac, fantasy. who is cruelly named Mac, is it's short for stomach. Oh, <laughs> so weird. I didn't know that one. Prof, short for professor. There's kung fu. There's sweet. There's melody, and it's Melody's tune that sounds like the 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 Black Parade. Um, so that's, that's the, that's the group of girls. And then really the only other characters other than watermelon salesman guy that Dave loves, you have auntie, papa, new stepmom, and Mr. Toga. Yeah. So the first time it's a, I mean, this is, I would kind of consider this uh, a bit experimental, a bit art house. Um, the first time it's pretty hard. It was hard for me to understand what the hell was going on in this movie. Um, the second time I really, was dialed in. I really, really liked it. Uh, I went back to the well one too many times. Uh, one night I put it back on. I was like, oh, yeah, this going to trip out to house, but it's really um, 
it's really not that trippy if you if you see it a couple times like the trippiness kind of uh, recedes a little bit at least it did for me um, how did you cat how did you not catch the character named Mac because I thought that that was like one of the most painful things about it. the the entire first hour of this movie is fat jokes and food jokes I about underst- the little girl. Her name is Mac, short for stomach. And the joke is she likes the to name. eat. I understood that she was the token fat one and she was always snacking and yada, yada, Every yada, joke. I, I just didn't understand the, the name itself. I thought Mac, I, Big Mac, I don't know. I didn't realize it was for stomach. It's very clever. Big Mac does not make it better. It do- I'm not saying it makes it better. Every single joke is about her eating. Didn't make the connection. I'm not no prof. I I was even even my jaded sense of humor after an hour of nonstop jokes at the expense of this little girl eating. I was like, man, I was glad when she died because at least that ended the jokes. She's not even that chubby. I don't understand. Whatever. You know, I, I feel like I'm intimidated when I put in a Japanese horror movie because I think I've gotten used to a lot of these tropes that we see and like I assume I'm not going to understand it when I put it in like I read the synopsis for this one and it just says uh, a girl brings six schoolmates to her aunt's house that tries to eat them the, like the <laughs> supernatural house tries to eat them and I was like oh it's very accurate I was like oh that's that's easy to get I get that but sometimes I watch uh, you know movies from other places where I just assume that there's going to be this culture shock watching this and I'm not going to understand it. So sometimes I look too deep into it, like mundane things that are just conversation. I like all the, I like all the vibes I got from other movies. Like I got super evil dead vibes still yes, watching this again, like the inanimate objects, the way they sort of came to life was very reminiscent of the way that Raimi did it. Uh, the Kung Fu. Um, I got, I got super Bram Stoker's Dracula vibes from the, the, the auntie like crawling around in the background or like disappearing into the fridge like reminded me very much of when we first see uh gary oldman and the castle um so i thought there was some it, it, i honestly was wondering like is this movie so legendary that like some of these are are more contemporary like well actually i guess they were all uh, operating at the same time were they vibing off of house um i also uh i also really was it, it like I, I read more articles this time, I think, than when I first watched it. Um, just really diving into like people talking about their thoughts of the movie, uh, and I found one that was like really hardcore comparing it to Dario Argento. And I was having a hard time the first time we watched and talked about it, and this time I'm still not getting it. So can somebody can somebody fill me in? I I, I got that for sure. Not not a ton, but it's. You know, it's late 70s, so this is like Suspiria era. Um, just some of the more subtle stuff like the the mirror cracking and attacking, you know, and the blood dripping down, just some of the colors and things like that, and the sort of abstract nature of so much of it. All those things together to me, I, I definitely got some Argento vibe. Yeah, not not a ton. I wouldn't I wouldn't go crazy with it, but I thought that was in there. Dave, I thought you'd appreciate like the effects. They said that uh, you might understand this better than I. They said that chroma key blue paint was used particularly in like prof's death um and the director obayashi was trying to make a lot of the fx to look childlike um could you give our listeners a crash course on what chroma key blue paint is and i'm just kidding don't really do that 
Well, no, I mean, wh- whatever you, whatever you put a chroma color on, you could then take away later and replace it with something else. So this was '77. This is really early of people doing that. Before it would be overlays of two different films playing at the same time, that were physically cut, so it would look really choppy. But now you could just kind of extract the background. And I didn't even know that. In 77, they were doing this. So that was interesting to find out. Just and, that, that, Kevin. and another D- Dracula tie. Isn't that what was happening in Dracula? They were ignoring modern things like this and going back to the overlay, like the traditional effects that you just talked about? Yes, although this is a technique that's used like right now as well. So it's, it's also a modern technology, but it's also, it goes way back. But uh, I want to reiterate to anyone listening... Um, that there is a number of things called House. And we're yes. not talking, there's another horror movie called House. Yes. That uh, isn't bad for what it is, but this is not the <laughs> 80s not horror movie House that's American. This is the Japanese House. It has nothing to do with Civil War cowboys coming back from the dead. <laughs> it's uh, completely different. You didn't get yeah. that? Ding dong, you're dead. Yes. Not that one. Not yeah. that house. Yeah. This is currently on Criterion. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's on Prime. This is pretty wide. I'm pretty sure you can rent it. You can see it on Tubi, I believe. HBO Max right now. HBO Max. Oh. This is all over the place. Yeah. So easy to see. Looks good on HBO Max. If being on Criterion isn't a flex, I don't know what is. Dave, you mentioned how the music is insane. Like, it, you can't describe the score to this movie properly. You, you literally have to watch this movie to understand. There's music going 100% of the time behind it, but it changes on a dime. So it goes from, like, children's show music in the background to, like, weird Farfisa-driven portions to uh, Miki Yoshino, who is from a legendary Japanese rock band, Godiego, doing all these sections of it it's it's just nuts like literally the soundtrack to this alone if you were to put this movie on and then put an eye mask on and just listen to it that actually probably would be enjoyable as well i read that the director took a lot of the ideas for some of the terror scenes and some of the kills and some of the fright from his young daughter's imagination and he was quoted as uh, was saying something about kids coming up with ideas that you know that an adult would never think of because their their thinking is is so much freer. And I thought that really came through on a number of these scenes we can talk about. But the one that like nailed it for me the most uh, toward the end of this movie, there there's a scene where a couple of the girls are in the house and the floor turns to blood, like bubbling uh, blood, like white water blood. And they're trying to stay on their mats and not fall into it. And it's totally um, lava floor. You guys ever play lava floor, you know? The floor is lava. Floor is lava. Yeah. You got to jump around from the couch to the chair. It, it, it's totally a floor lava scene. And there are a bunch of those. There's the uh, the mattress attack or the futon attack where uh, a girl is killed uh, via uh, futons just like coming to life and piling up on her. That was apparently taken from uh, from the director's daughter. Uh, there's a great piano death. One of my favorite scenes, probably yes. my favorite scene in the in the whole thing, is when the piano makes pretty short work. Uh, not only eats uh, the poor girl, but chops her up until her severed fingers are playing the notes. Uh, which I didn't get. The uh, I'm not that familiar with My Chemical Romance. I thought the theme was uh, "I'll Be Home for Christmas." 
strangely. That's what I kept hearing. I thought it was, I've been working on the railroad. So there, there's this <laughs> theme that keeps coming in that literally reminded me of I've been working on the railroad. But it's, it's, it's the character melody, specifically the song that she plays when she first sits down at the piano, and it ke- that keeps coming back. It sounds just like the intro to Welcome to the Black Parade. Um, but yeah, his, his preteen daughter, Shigumi, his quote's great because I learned something when I was in school. Well, I, I learned one thing when I was in school, everybody. <laughs> and it was, we had, I, I can't remember what, like, social studies has evolved into so many different, like, uh, names for classes now. So whatever it was when I was in, I think, a senior in high school, I had a teacher that sort of talked to us about the faculty of wonder. And it's always stuck with me because it's like what we lose when we become adults. You know, you just lose that faculty of wonder because you know too much shit. So you know what's real. You know what's influencing things. You know what's behind stuff. You kind of lose that. And I loved uh, Obayashi's quote about why he was, you know, kind of using his daughter for ideas. And he said, adults only think about things they understand. Children can come up with things that can't be explained. And all those scenes that you talked about, Trent, totally make sense. There's the scene where they pull the watermelon that they dropped in a well to keep it cool up, and all of a sudden it's a head flying through the air and biting someone's ass. Like, mm. <laughs> that is totally something that we would have come up with as, like, a kid. Like, uh, it's brilliant. Yeah, we can't understate how psychedelic this movie is. It's very, very psychedelic. And the piano death, I'm glad you brought that up, Trent, because... I've been pitching my horror movie, The Dumpster. <laughs> take out the tra- take out the trash before it takes out you. And it's and it's the same concept as the piano death. It's the du- the top of the dumpster just kind of opens up. Uh, maybe there's a, if we can afford it, maybe there's a smoke machine inside it and a red light. <laughs> maybe. So I mean, now maybe you guys see my vision isn't so crazy now that you see a movie like House can work. Someday we'll do the screenplay episode. We've talked about that before. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it'll happen yes. someday. Uh, I like that idea, Dave. I got, I got some of my own. Uh, great <laughs> eyeball scene in this. Very good. I love the creepy eyeball scene. Somebody's eating the food, and like all of a sudden, oh, eating an eyeball. And the eyeball is looking around, looking at you. Very good. <laughs> Both of the movies that we watched this week, the, I just kept on thinking, uh, like technically, how rigorous it must have been to make these two ridiculous movies i mean it must have taken so much time one is with more primitive technology and then the one we're going to talk about next is modern technology but equally there's a lot going into these movies like people are spending a lot of time on some pretty ludicrous concepts for movies and i like that that's why uh i love french movies is because they'll They'll throw some money. I don't know where these investors are, but they throw money at these crazy concepts. And that's what's refreshing about it when you watch it as a, you know, traditional American horror movie fan. Yeah. And something that we didn't actually talk about when we talked about Godzilla versus Kong uh, and the original King Kong versus Godzilla, I think we were a little distracted by our guest. But um, this movie features some of the World War II metaphor an analogy or whatever you want to call it. There are actually scenes of atom bomb in the story. You know, the aunt's um, true love has went away um, to fight in the war and never came back. And that that's sort of at the root of, uh, of her discontent. I think this also, though, is 
basically a, a step movie. This is a step parent. We've talked about the step parent angst movies, um, The Lodge most recently, I think. But that is a, a tried and true horror trope. No kid wants the step coming in there thinking that they're going to own the joint. Nothing doing. And that's kind of what sets this whole thing in motion is that Gorgeous just, and her name is Gorgeous, by the way, to be clear. Uh, gorgeous <laughs> yeah. gorgeous yeah. doesn't want to go. She's not going on this vacation with a new stepmom. Nothing doing. And that's why she ends up uh, going to visit her aunt. Yeah, I think there's there's an article by uh, Tamsin Cleary on a site called bfi.org.uk. And the article really gets into, to take what Trent is talking about a step further, how this movie is sort of talking about how you have a bunch of happy kids. I mean, all of these all of these characters that we're talking about are, are seven dwarves. These young girls are incredibly happy. It, it's infectious. It's almost like over the mm. top how giggly and excited these characters are. But this movie is sort of getting into happy kids facing down the wartime trauma that their parents endured. So that's kind of what you get from the aunt. So it's sort of talking about how the next generation will pay for the misery of the previous generation. Um, And I realize that sounds incredibly deep for this, like, incredibly bizarre and, and insanely visual movie we're talking about. But there are portions of the film where they do cut to flashbacks and you start to understand the aunt, that it does start to get very serious. And there are threads that you can pull throughout it that I think uh, he did an okay job with. Uh, but it's, it's, a valid, it's a valid article, a good read, um, if you wanted to sort of delve a little bit deeper into some of what House is talking about. Well, one thing that I've, you know, uh, learned from diving into horror movies is how vastly different, even different genres within Japanese horror are. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I had in the past considered uh, Asian horror to be like one genre. And I recently got into Indonesian horror, which you guys uh, told me to check out in Pedagore. And we've talked about South Korea a ton of times and it's all so so different uh and um but there are stylistic things that come up within each one that i really like and for me uh the japanese horror like the the strength that it has the thing that i like the most is the courageous technical aspects of it i like it that they'll go completely over the top uh, on the technical aspects of it, almost to where it's like um, almost more of an art form itself uh, that speaks more than the dialogue and more than the acting. Um, well, to your point about the about acting, almost nobody in this movie is an actor. These are almost right. all, there's a couple, but all of the girls are amateurs. Most of the people in this movie are pure amateurs, which I thought was pretty interesting. And I did see like some antecedent to that wave of quote-unquote J-horror that we're talking about, this sort of the ghost story. I mean, they, they all kind of boil down to ghost stories, which is an important part of, um, you know, the sort of darker Japanese folklore. That's one thing that um, is almost sort of a genre in, in itself and totally different from something like One Cut of the Dead, which is like a meta-zombie comedy thing, or even the next movie we're going to talk about. Um, but my favorite uh, quote in this from any of the performers was uh, toward later in the movie, and this isn't that long, it's like an hour and a half, uh, much later in the movie, one of the girls says to the other, you're right, it's a haunted house. It only takes her, it only takes her like five or six killings to realize that oh, you might be onto something with that haunted house take. 
Yeah, they're optimistic the whole time. <laughs> yeah, everybody's everybody's Almost until they're dead. Being violently killed. I, it seems like something strange about this house. I don't know. I I did like the way that it uh, escalated like crazy at the end because up to a certain point it could be uh, a PG kind of like friendly family movie, mm. and then the pool of blood that you're talking about. That's kind mm. of a turning point where it gets super dark after that, super gory. Yeah, all the and then the boobs come out. Oh, yep. Yeah, child nudity gets a little weird in this one. Gets a little Cat, weird. Your boob log overfloweth on this one. <laughs> well, I didn't think it was. It wasn't that booby. It was I like it was mild boobs. It was like uh, a handful of boobs. There was that uh, weird scene where she was like cradling that girl, and she was like calling her like mother or whatever, and like her tit was out. That was interesting. Right. I thought it was just a little weird because normally in the typical horror movie that I watch, I'm not like, when I see boobs, I'm not like wondering how old the actor or actress <laughs> is, you know, this, that was the only thing. It was a little like, usually when you have a movie, a horror movie about school kids, that's not usually like a big boob movie. They're all so. like 25 year olds. Yeah. Playing, uh, <laughs> high schoolers. film the experience that i chose this week is 2008 tokyo gore police directed by <laughs> yoshihiro nashimura and i would argue that it's the goriest and most violent movie we've covered on the podcast hmm. uh shina you know pronunciations we don't know about these things but we're trying over here uh, she stars as Ruka, a police officer that hunts engineers. Uh, engineers are what they call these human mutations that are caused by a virus invented by a mad scientist known as the Key Man. Um, this takes place in a dystopian version of Tokyo where these engineers have become integrated into pop culture. They even have nightclub events uh, and almost what I describe as like fashion shows. Um, and to make this worse, to fight these, uh, the police have been privatized. So uh, it's this really brutal uh, privatized police that are no better than the criminals, really. Uh, it's just like brutal, savage mayhem. Um, Ruka is a policewoman that seems fueled mostly by avenging the death of her father, who is also a police officer, and trying to get to the bottom of what had happened to him and, and the people who killed him. Um, but the most important part of the plot it centers around the fact that these engineers, uh, when they're maimed, they grow a weapon where their injury <laughs> was. So uh, thus, the centerpiece of this film um, 
perverse, bizarre, like gore that's unrelenting, you know, penis cannons, boob guns that shoot like uh, acid. Uh, and my personal favorite, the crotchodile. Um, I absolutely love Tokyo Gore Police I saw this years ago Uh, that's why this this movie is the reason why um, when I talk about Japanese horror I'm like whew uh, geez that's a lot to take in Uh, I'm ready I'm ready that this is the movie uh, that's the reason for that because I saw it a few years ago and I was just like my f- hair was blown back by the crazy effects and the over, uh, like the Kill Bill style blood. That's just uh, like, I don't know, guys. What did you think? I absolutely loved this movie. I had never heard of Tokyo Gore Police, and as soon as I heard the title, knowing nothing else, I knew that this was going to be a movie that would make the very idea of gore like a non-factor within the first 20 minutes. I knew going into this that I would be impervious to gore within 20 minutes of starting this movie. I just knew it, and uh, so then I started it, and (laughs) right away, you're like, okay, so beheadings, uh, raining blood, uh, squirting blood from all four limbs, blood umbrellas, nothing (laughs) nothing is going to mean anything to me after this movie, and it didn't. I would call this a splattercore body horror action movie. Uh, Reminded me of so many things. This would make David Cronenberg blush as far as body horror. Reminded me of a great um, experimental Japanese movie called Tetsuo the Iron Man, which uh, was on Shudder at some point. Reminded me of Blade Runner. We're um, we're hunting the engineers here and not sure yeah. like who they are. There's so many movies. I thought this this is to me like there's no mistaking this for like J horror. This this is a world away from Ringu. This is even a world away from House. This is like its own thing. Nothing like any of those movies. <laughs> it is just totally totally insane. And, and uh, we should mention that uh, the lead character uh, Ruka she starred in Audition, which is one of the other Japanese mm-hmm. movies we talked about. Aihi Shina plays Ruka, and she was the psycho lady from Audition, the from our first episode. And this was like mommy? her, like this was yeah, mommy of the week for sure, uh, <laughs> mommy of the podcast, I think so far. Hey, uh, she, yeah, she <laughs> took this was like really her audition was what two thousand two thousand one, ninety eight, uh, I think. Yeah, or, or late nineties. Yeah, this was her first like real big role since that. Um, Nishimura. He, he had a short film called Anatomia Extinction that this was basically a remake <laughs> of his in 1995 indie film, which, well, talk about titles, Anatomia Extinction. It's so Extinction. Evil Dead to do that. Yes, so he, he basically, uh, he, he, had, he was an effects guy. So he was working on a lot of, so, so we talk about J-horror and how that's more specifically towards like the early aughts kind of wave of Japanese horror. Well, this is compared to movies like Ichi the Killer, which by the way, you guys, I, oh, originally Dave was like Tokyo Gore Police and I was like Ichi the Killer. And then I went and watched Ichi the Killer and was like, good Lord, we cannot handle watching those two movies in the same week. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of sad. I'm kind of sad about that. We have, we have to even this out. Um, you can say it. Cat can't handle watching both of no. these movies. Oh. I, no. No, no. Oh. I, I was definitely thinking of you, but literally I got like 30 <laughs> minutes into Ichi the Killer, and I was like, 
okay, this is too much for me. Like, we need to space these out. These need to be bookends of some sort of bookshelf we build in the future. Um, so this guy was an effects guy, and he did stuff on, like, uh, oh, oh, so what I was saying is they talk about this sort of genre as, like, Japanese splattercore or splattergore. And there's movies like Machine Girl that Nishimura had just come off doing effects on. There's Meatball Machine. Uh, there's Tetsuo that I know, Trent, uh, I think you were a fan of that. I believe uh, Dave and I felt differently. I liked it too. Oh, okay. Either way. As I. Either way. So he went on to then, after doing effects for a bunch of, a bunch of uh, Splattergore films, he went on to do Tokyo Gore Police. And the guy has been called, he's been quoted as the Tom Savini of Japan with talent to burn. This movie kind of proves that with the practical effects that it shows. Uh, I love the that we're talking about this in 2020. Well, I don't love that we're talking about it, but a privatized police force, that's very topical in today's day and age, uh, particularly where our country is. I love the fact that she has this, you know, revenge mind and she's just out there kicking ass. It, it's so, it's so fun to watch. Like, she's almost like Ash, except, you know, there's like hordes of police officers that are descending upon like one engineer and they're in full riot gear and all these guns. And she just shows up dressed like super hot, super cute with like an umbrella and a sword. And it's like, oh, these 400 police officers couldn't take down this uh, engineer. I'm just going to do it with my sword and some awesome kickflips. Um, so it's like super over the top that way. But yes, I mean, Trent might have some other ideas. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember a movie gorier than this. Um, I loved it. It's super fun. It's definitely one to walk the line on who you're recommending it to. <laughs> so even though everybody on the show might say they love it, like when you're talking to just a casual friend, you might want to dig a little deeper into their horror knowledge and what they prefer to watch before you go throwing this out one out there as a recommendation. This could end friendships. This could really fuck up Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, but I loved it. Kat, please give me your take. Oh, this movie is so fucking weird, but in a good way, I guess. Um Thank you. Thank you. You told me today it was your second favorite movie. That's you put those words in my mouth. Um, wow. <laughs> like some things in this movie were in a mouth, got bitten off. Um, it's so over the top with the gore, but it's funny because it's not super realistic. It's very, you know, fluorescent. It's very much blood just squirting everywhere um, and a lot of weird appendages, both being cut off and growing um i am forever haunted by the entire strip club scene um and <laughs> the, fashion show sorry fashion show um <laughs> and the, ugh, the um the being that was up there that was like a chair thing and then daddy the, of the week oh thank you <laughs> 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 oh no r.i.p i'm done um, he yeah. was the life of the party. Though. He was. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, the gimpy thing that the main cop guy had. Oh my had, god! That's the really gimp. stressed me out. Oh that, my god! That, that I think that was the most stressful part for me. Um, obviously, I liked the main character, uh, Ruka. She was a badass for sure. She had a very interesting revenge backstory. 
Uh, it's always nice to start a film off with a father's head exploding. Mm. Um, but what was what was up with the like weird commercials that would just like oh, pop yes. up out of nowhere? The suicide commercials. I loved it. Oh I my loved god! It. <laughs> it added like they were so like weird and over the top, like hyper manic. It like added this weird like hyper manicness to the movie. But I guess it blends in well with the rest of it. It was just I just. <laughs> That was the only part. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Um, but yeah, this this movie was definitely um, an interesting watch for sure. I wonder about the commercials too, because Grindhouse came out, I think, a year before this. I think Grindhouse was like 07. Mm-hmm. And Grindhouse had like all the commercials, like, you know, that would get some of them would get turned into, you know, feature films like about Hobo with a Shotgun and Thanksgiving. Um, But I also like that the commercials were sort of pushing this dystopian landscape that David talked about. Sort of. Where I think the commercials were just really trying to show you how fucked society had gotten and how out of control, like, the government and the privatization of the police Mm -hmm. force uh, had gotten. Okay. Also, it seemed like the police dispatch... That that crazy like uh, MTV VJ lady that would yeah. come on. Yes, it was like she was the police dispatch. Oh. She was like yes. Uh, I that, didn't even that realize was, uh, that. It had like an idiocracy vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- these commercials that we're talking about, the commercials are for products like box cutters for cutting your wrists. Uh, for the, kids. Cute for girls. kids. Yeah. For, yeah, for kids, kids to more to really go out in style and cut their wrists in the in the best way there is like a Wii a Nintendo Wii style game that is yes. that you and the family get together and you pretend to be torturing and chopping people with swords um it's it's really hard like we're underselling how it, it's really hard to explain how <laughs> totally over the top and crazy this movie is we haven't seen a good old fashioned dick bite off in quite some time on this show, and I <laughs> yes thank we you, have Dave. yeah my yes we have when was the last there's one? There's too many to count now. We used to it's an essential part of the genre, and there is a all time great dick bite off in this movie. All I'm trying to say it was legit. I will give you that. Well, what's great about this is when you bite it off, an engineer, it becomes a weapon, and <laughs> and boy and does it. Boy. The uncircumcised penis cannon is amazing. Oh. Like bright red rocket like a dog. It's the best bounce back of a dick bite off that we've seen. It's the best bounce I back ever. It. Yeah, so the the dick in question turns Certainly. into a giant dick gun. That <laughs> I, just, I, I don't, you know, it's just, uh, it's all of that. I think I walked out of the room when I was like, I'm going to go get a seltzer. I'm not going to pause it. I'm going to be right back. So I feel like we're not being graphic enough uh, describing like what we saw here. There was a snail girl. We're talking about, like, you guys have already described some pretty disgusting things. Like Dave, just in your synopsis of the movie, talked about dick cannons and boobs shooting acid. I was really caught up on two things. One, Kat already mentioned, the chairperson made my skin crawl. Mm. And that's not, his, no pun intended. Too. No pun his intended. <laughs> that I literally stopped that. I haven't felt that gross since probably- What is the, it? Since probably the first time I saw like the original Hellraiser. I don't remember the scene, Kevin. What was it? I, I don't, don't want to describe it. Didn't I send you that as a text message at midnight? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yes, it's just you it's did. a flap of skin. You did, and there's it's pee. There's pee involved, which pee pee doesn't bother me nearly as much as poo. Number one is okay. Number two, get it out of my face. <laughs> All right. But also, also, right. hey, look. Also, that really bothered me. But for some reason, the first time you see the key man, and he turns into like eye guns that shoot f- like these fleshy diamonds. Mm. That really messed me up for somehow. Like, it's a great action <laughs> scene, but like, I don't know why. Like, whatever he was shooting out of his eyes that were like literally like flesh, but like hardened, they ended up looking kind of like the key, which he in- inserts into people to turn them into engineers. That really disturbed me. There's there's a lot of this movie that disturbed me, but that one, like, ugh, I get creeps thinking about it. And Dave, I do want to mention you just mentioned idiocracy. There is one quote I found where someone was describing this movie, and they said, well, Beavis and Butthead would love it. <laughs> so I just want to, uh, just to not beat around the bush at all here. Uh, Is that another reference to the chairperson? Yes, fashion show. Self-mutilation fashion show. Uh, it's like, who can be more extreme? And you go through all these people, and then there's one person behind a curtain. They were doing these reveals one at a time, and then finally they get to this one and he's just reduced himself to being a, a torso stretched over a chair. And you can tell that his heart's beating. And then he has like legs and a, uh, a genital area that looks like a, uh, was that an orchid? I think yeah. it was a, a vagina. Lotus. I think it was a lady. No, it was like a lotus flower or something. Was it? And it peed into the audience. I, I thought it was a vagina. Really? Yeah. It looked just like a plant my mom had. (laughs) 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 That's a true story. That reminds me of my mom. Okay. Every time mm -hmm. I watch that part, I'm like, mom. One thing that I don't think we've (laughs) seen in any movie before now, we get to see someone drawn and quartered in this with cars. Mm. Yes. We have not seen Mm. a full uh, drawing and quartering on Speak All Evil. So that was nice to check that little box. Nice. Yes. yes. Very nice. This checks a lot of boxes, to be honest, if we're checking boxes. Yeah. <laughs> <Hey>, oh. <laughs> it's a lot of first times in this. The wine bottle. She breaks a wine bottle and Jake jams it into this guy's face and like twirls it around for 10 mm. minutes and then pulls it off and his face is gone. She blows through the wine bottle and his face is, blows out of it onto the floor. Mm. I mean, people are eating I mean, chainsaws, literally eating them. I mean, it's... Yes. Uh, as far as traditional elements, though, I thought there were a couple things that stood out. One, there is the scene where the um, the antagonist, he when he's first introduced, he has the long black hair over his face. That's straight out of more traditional Japanese horror. You always have to have the figure with the long hair o- uh, over the face. You have that. Um, I did like the origin story of the antagonist very nightmare on elm street he's he is the bastard son of a thousand maniacs he's he's created himself with the genes of every famous killer on the planet he's ejected them all into himself and lastly i don't know if you guys noticed the little cameo appearance at the very end of this um the reagent from reanimator is in this at the end. Guy's got the uh, <laughs> yep. the, the yes. three needles of a uh, reagent and goes to town uh, right on himself with it. So yeah. not not everything was new in this. Look, no, it's not. But, you know, we just talked about House and how the story is like all over the place. 
This one is equally as bonkers as House in a different way, but there's a legitimate story to follow. And it is sort of a cliche story, but I love the package it's delivered in. Like, it's we've seen the revenge story. We all know probably how it's going to end up that her her father died. It's just it's just how we get it's the journey. It's it's a familiar yes. trope, but it's the yes. journey we take to get there exactly. that turns everything on its head. And I'm glad you brought that up, Trent, because the journey of our discovery of the key man is is very is very good. Um, you know, well, very good in terms of watching it through the lens of Tokyo Gore Police. I also can't believe this movie was shot in two weeks, which makes me believe wow, that that's as, crazy. as in as in both of these movies, the post-production was probably considerably longer than the actual shooting time. So you have to give props to the people that were behind the scenes in this movie because, you know, in House, I think we can give props that a lot of the post-production was was done, you know, the, the chroma key we were talking about and all this stuff. But it, with Tokyo Gore Police, most of this stuff looks practical. So how did they mm. shoot it in two weeks? There was a lot of the fast motion stuff. I think that's the way they got away with some of the uh, effects is with the fast motion. Did you guys like the crotchodile? The crotchodile will live in my brain. That was a great sequence. That is one of the greatest scenes from any horror movie ever made. No question about it. Okay. Okay. You didn't like it? It's It was a crotchodile. You're, Just you're the jealous. Word. <laughs> You're jealous. <laughs> jealous that I don't have one? Yes. Or that I didn't pick this movie. We talked a little <laughs> bit about the, uh, somebody mentioned the gimp. So there's a there's a gimp in this, and this particular gimp has had all four limbs severed, pretty like at the, like arms like above the elbow and legs above the knee. And uh, there's one point toward the end where the gimp appears and... Uh, in place of the uh, the former limbs that the gimp no, no longer has, the gimp is walking on four samurai swords, and it's it's just it's one of the creepiest, weirdest, most out so there weird. things I've ever seen. Uh, you know, we can just go on and on, but it just it, there's no bottom to the craziness uh, of this movie. Well, you know, technically, uh, some of the scenes in this, some of the the gore scenes, if they were put in the setting of a truly scary movie the scene with the girls in the box is pretty scary oh man mm. she's all chopped up in the box oh uh, there's so many like silly scenes but there's also some really like scary chilling effects that yes are, they they really pull off um there's one thing to have an alligator alligator vagina crotchodile crotchodile but uh they're also just really good like slasher movie uh, effects. I would love to see uh, follow this guy's career as a effects guy uh, because I think he could do some really scary stuff. To that point, there is a sequence where the privatized police force begins a massive crackdown because they need they they're going to not even question whether someone is an engineer anymore. They're just going to on suspicion execute them and it turns into this like mass citizen street execution sweep where they're just going out in the streets and throwing people into trucks or just putting a bags over their heads right on the spot and sitting them down on the street on the sidewalk and beheading them or shooting them in the back of the head and that like became really chilling because like all of a sudden you're in the middle of this like crazy movie but all of a sudden something that is 
just real life. Like it didn't come out of any crazy imagination. That didn't come out of any acid trip. That's just, that's something that human beings came up with and actually do. And you see on the news. And so there were moments like that, that really are actually legitimately chilling and not like, LOL, you know, uh, look how gory. Yeah, I, I heard that his daughter actually came up with this whole idea in a dream, and he immediately had her hospitalized. Really? I'm just, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other one was a child dream. This one is definitely yeah. like a uh, grown-up dream. Well, Dave, you talked about when we were talking about House, and you were talking about your experience with Japanese horror, and you were like, I just feel like, you know, like speaking of Japanese movies, like you have to be ready for it. Well, this is a movie that nobody is ready for. No. Nobody's ready for this. As much, we could talk about this for 45 more minutes and nobody would be ready for it. I do like another thing that you said when we talk about House Dave where you, you took sort of a broad stroke across Asian horror. And I, I like how much we've covered. We've covered South Korea a ton. We're getting into, you know, Indonesian. And I think, you know, I like the, the culture there's just so much culture here to talk about, and there's so much history with these countries where, you know, America is a very young country. We don't have a whole lot to look back on. Most of what we do is not great. So we're just now starting to explore it in media. But I love, you know, Japanese has all of this, all of these subgenres already. And I think, you know, the J-horror that we talked about will go more into some of their folklore. And I think a lot of the other eastern regions, they do that. You know, we saw it in Pedagore. We saw it in the South Korean films that we're digging into. There's just so much folklore and different things to dig into where Tokyo Gore Police falls into a much more modernized and industrialized subgenre of horror that we're seeing from one of these regions for the first time. And I think what it says, despite, you know, some of like Dave, maybe you don't like how the progression of Japanese horror. I think you have to appreciate like it's literally it's literally on this path where it's constantly reinventing itself and keeping up with the times and even exceeding the times. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's peaked yet. And what I see in a lot of these movies that we talk about uh, from Japan is that I see the elements that I personally like in horror movies in different movies and I feel like I'm waiting for the movie that hits all those elements at once in one movie and really sells me on it. So, um, and also like, I'm a big fan of like Kung Fu movies from Japan. So, um, and like Ninja movies, I was like a huge fan of all that stuff. And I don't know if you guys, this is streaming on Hia. You can get as a free subscription. And it also has a ton of really great classic old psychedelic Jackie Chan movies and a bunch of the stuff from the, the Wu-Tang collection. You can also rent this on Vudu, which is what I did, and a couple other platforms. It's not the widest um, available, but it's it's out there. If you, if you go to JustWatch.com and type in uh, Tokyo Gore Police, you'll see a number of options. So th- this is an easy one to see. Not really an easy one to see. (laughs) (laughs) Easy one to find, hard one to watch. I will say, I will say, uh, if you want to follow Nishimura's career, you know, you'll have to go to his filmography. A lot of it's going to be effects stuff, but he did do the final segment of the ABCs of Death, 
which oh, right. was I saw which yeah. was yeah Z is for Zetsumetsu. 